When I was your guys' age, uh, my family and I were watching this show called Doc, and it actually starred uh, Miley Cyrus's dad, Billy Ray Cyrus. So he was like this cowboy doctor guy who lived in Texas, and he moves to busy New York City to practice medicine there. And you can imagine all the strange things that ensue from that. But th there's one episode that sticks out in my, my mind. It's when Doc was treating this adult patient, and he has this suspicion that the guy can't read or write. And everyone thinks that's ridiculous because he's, he's an adult. Surely he would have learned how to do these things. But as the episode progresses, we discover that this patient has been faking it the whole time. That, that he memorized how a few things looked, like his name, and he had figured out a way to appear like he knew how to read and write. And when they asked him why he didn't get help, he felt like it was too late for that. It would be too awkward to admit he doesn't know how to do these things. And, and sometimes I wonder if we feel the same way with some of these basic tenets or practices within Christianity. On the regular, I will encourage or challenge you guys to do things like read your Bible or pray or things like that. And, and perhaps you feel like that's something you should know how to do because I keep telling you you should do it. And, and as I've thought about it, I've realized that's not necessarily fair to you. I can't make that assumption. And so what, what we want to do the next three weeks is to give you guys some guidelines on, on these basic practices of being a Christian. And so this week we are focusing on reading the Bible. We're going to look at why we should read the Bible and then uh, from like a 3,000 view how we can engage in God's word. So why read the Bible? One of the best answers for that is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. Uh, it reads like this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, Paul gives two reasons in, in our text of why Christians should engage with, with the Bible, with God's word. And the second really reason really takes up the bulk of these verses. And that's that there's great benefit for us when we do that. Uh, it, it, it completes us. It, it makes us uh, mature and, and really as we should be. Now, you might have been reading that with me and said, well, some of that doesn't sound that great, and especially this reproof and correction stuff. But believe it or not, that's good for you, too. Uh, I want you to imagine that you want to be, like, an amazing guitarist, right? And so your parents sign you up for guitar lessons, and you go, and your teacher shows you how to hold your guitar pick and, and strum out a C chord, and so you try it. And it sounds, it just sounds really bad, let's be honest. Would you want your teacher to say, oh, that was great, or... Mm, no, I think something was wrong there. Let's try that again. You would want him or her to correct you because that's the only way that you'll grow into a good guitarist. You'd want someone to, to teach you, to correct your mistakes, and to challenge you to improve. And that's what God's word does. When we engage with God's word, it, it's, it not only teaches us, but it corrects what is wrong. It reinforces what is right. And, and so... Um, it makes you mature and, and complete, fully equipped for everything that God has for you to do. And so God's word really plays a vital uh, place in our lives. And, and I think most of us probably know that. 
Uh, many of you go to Christian schools. This is not, not news to you. But just because we know something doesn't mean we do something with it. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with all the statistics of, uh, of the percentage of Christians who read or do not read their Bible. But just take my word for it. It's not as much as you think there should be. And that's because we make a lot of different excuses for, for not reading the Bible. So help me out here. What are some reasons people give for not reading the Bible? It doesn't have to be you, just people. They don't understand it, okay? Understanding. What else? Yeah, we have no time for it. Any other ideas? Yeah, it just slides down, uh, it slides down the priority list, right? You just something else always comes up that seems more pressing or more important. What else? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we could keep listing them off. Here, here's what's going to happen, what I think would happen regardless of how big our list gets. Most excuses fall into one of two buckets. Um, one of the buckets is is time, that, that we, we just, there's so many things going on in our life. It, it, it's certainly the easiest one that I gravitate toward. Um, I think about it, like, you have all this homework. You're in school day, you have all this homework, throw in your extracurriculars, family, friends, Twitch streamers, um, things that you need to binge on Netflix. We can go on and on and on. We just, we don't have time. There's, there's more pressing things to do than read the Bible. The other, um, bucket is uh, what, we, what I would call uh, relevancy, right? Like we, we read the Bible and we're just not sure how that connects to us. And this is why like a lot of Bible reading plans that start in Genesis just kind of fail. Because you read Genesis, that's kind of inter interesting. Exodus, okay. But then you get to Leviticus and Numbers. And it's like, I do not understand why a bunch of old laws, genealogies, and stories have to do with me. But here's the root of all of these excuses. All of them actually fall into a bigger bucket, which is this. At our heart, we just don't value this book. Or, or more importantly, we don't value the one who authored it. And that's actually the primary reason that the Apostle Paul says that we should engage with God's word. Not just because it benefits us, though it does. The primary reason in this text is because it is breathed out by God, that it, 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 it comes from the very mouth of God. Shameless plug. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but Caleb was written by human authors, so how can you say it's from, like, how do we know? Go check out our podcast, Aftershock Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. And there's a lesson on there under the On Guard series about why we can trust the Bible. It will help uh, answer that question. But the, the point here is simply that, that, that the God who created us, who knows what's best for us, and who gave his son for us, has spoken to us here. Therefore, it should be, it ought to be, the utmost importance for us. That's why we should read the Bible. But that still doesn't answer the question of how do we read the Bible. Uh, how many of you play Smash Bros.? A few of you? Okay. So, so when I started playing Sma Smash Bros. a couple months ago, I knew that you needed to hit, like, the floating orb thing to get, like, your final smash, right? But I had no clue how to access it, like, how to trigger it. 
And so I'm running around, I'm glowing like, I want to use this power, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. That's kind of how it feels like when we, we engage, when we read the Bible, right? Like we know it's supposed to be transformative. We know it's supposed to be powerful in our life, but we just can't seem to find the right method to unlock it, to trigger it. Uh, and so we normally think, okay, well then, then I must need to be doing something different. We normally chalk it up to methodology. Maybe we need to read more, read larger chunks. Maybe we need to use like a Bible study book. Maybe we need to use a specific reading plan. And what happens is we often get discouraged because we just can't seem to find that perfect combo that unlocks the power of God's word. So let me encourage you. There is no perfect combo. Uh, if, I, if I'm honest, my, my study method just changes on the regular. Sometimes I'm reading a chapter a day. Other times it's bigger chunks. Sometimes it's just a small paragraph for a few days. Sometimes I use a study guide. Sometimes I don't. The point I'm trying to get is that this, the method isn't as important as the goal. Um, this past summer, we, uh, we got one of those uh, like above ground intact pools. It's like a tarp and some PVC pipe. Okay, so, so I want you to imagine that we built this pool and Theo, my four-year-old, wants to fill it up. He's very independent. He needs to do it himself. And so he's ready to fill up this 10-foot by 3-foot pool. Only problem, we can't find the hose. All he has is a wicker basket. Okay? And so, you know, you can imagine, you know, he's filling up the basket, filling up the basket, and he's running as fast as those four-year-old legs can, can carry him, and he dumps it in the pool. If you've ever seen a wicker basket, you know that the water is not in there anymore. Maybe a few drops are in there. That would be a very frustrating process if his goal was to fill the tub. What if that goal changed, though? What if the goal was not to fill the tub, but to clean the basket? It changes things when we change the goal. And I think so frequently we have the wrong goal when we come to reading the Bible. We get caught up in how much can we consume? Is this the right methodology? Whereas the goal in reading the Bible is to renew your mind. It's to engage in God's word. And so for the remaining time we have, the last couple of minutes, I just want to propose three very broad principles that will help you engage with God regardless of, of what method you're using, okay? First thing, and, and we turn to Psalms chapter one for this one. Uh, Psalm chapter one, uh, I'm reading the first three verses. So Psalm chapter one, sorry, in verse one. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Did you catch the, the turning point there, the, the transition in verse 1 and 2? What takes you from uh, following the counsel of the wicked to being blessed and well-rooted? It's, it's delighting in the word of God, which plays out in meditating on it day and night. Now, I don't know what your mental picture is for meditation. Nor, mine normally is like, uh, f you know, far eastern monk, like, ooh, ah, 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 whatever. That, that's really not what meditating is, though. M to meditate on something means to think about it 
constantly, to be chewing on it, to be processing it, to be playing it in your head over and over again. It's kind of like whenever you have like a crush on someone and you like have like this just sudden or random interaction with them at school or whatever, you just kind of like replay that over in your head again and again and again. You like look at it from every angle and try to take in every detail. You're meditating on the event. And that's what we're supposed to do with scripture, to chew on it, to, to, to mentally just play it over in our minds. A- and here's an easy way to do that. It's to follow um, the three Ps. So, three Ps. You can do this with any section, passage of scripture. Ask yourself, what should I praise God for? What in this passage causes me to give thanks to God, to praise him for who he is. What does this passage tell us about God? We should praise him for it. Secondly, what does this passage tell us that we should seek pardon for? What does it tell us about us? Because oftentimes, scripture is telling us uh, ways that we are in need of help, we fall short, etc. So where do we need God's pardon? And finally, what should we petition or ask God for? Not do we, what do we want to ask God for, but what, what from this passage or section of scripture that we read should we ask God for? And this is not the end-all be-all, but this is an easy way to start engaging uh, with God's word, engaging your mind and engaging with him. Um, two other things, two other comments real quickly. Um, First, uh, second, try reading what I'm going to call Christologically. See, sometimes when you read the Bible, you think it's just telling you to be good, to be more disciplined, to try harder. That's not the point. The point is not to tell you you need to do better, but for you to look at Jesus and say, he changes things. Uh, and, and so, like, perhaps, perhaps you're reading in the Bible that, that, like, you shouldn't be anxious about anything because God cares for you. But that doesn't really dislodge our concerns until we see Jesus lodged on the tree for us, right? Um, so do you, do you see the point? All, all scripture points to Jesus. Therefore, we should be thinking about Jesus when we're reading scripture. Finally, uh, we need to read communally. And I don't mean like we do on Sunday mornings where we all stand and someone reads the passage to us. That is good, but that's not what I'm talking about here. To read communally means that reading scripture isn't a solo act. You talk about it with other people. You, you, you share with them what you're reading. Because when you talk about it, when you engage other people with it, it not only sharpens you, it also solidifies it in your mind, it n- encourages everyone involved, and it can even protect you from grabbing onto the wrong things. Thank you.